Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward. And I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honoring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Kind Parenting Company podcast. Today we are diving into one of my favorite topics when it comes to supporting children, and that is talking all about highly sensitive children. I think the reason I love this topic so much is because this cohort of kids is so often misunderstood. And really, once you have a little insight into what it means to be highly sensitive, you're really able to dramatically alter and improve the lives of these kids. Parents or carers are going to recognize the profile I'm talking about fairly quickly if it applies to their child. It's kind of one of those join the dots kind of conversations where everything just drops into place and starts making a whole lot more sense, or at least that was what it was like for me when I started looking into this. So what does it mean to be highly sensitive? High sensitivity is actually a biological trait, which means it's something that you can inherit and, of course, pass on to your own children. It's important to note that high sensitivity is not a diagnosis or a psychological disorder, so you don't find it in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, and that's the reference used by medical professionals when they're diagnosing um, mental disorders. So high sensitivity is definitely not an illness. Instead, it's a human trait. So much like we can be extroverted or reckless or courageous, we can also be highly sensitive. It's really interesting to note that it's a trait that's actually found equally in males and females, although typically, um, in our culture at least, it's one that is mainly associated with females. I point this out because it's really important to realize that it's equally likely to present in males and so potentially in young boys, in our sons as well. The scientific term is sensory processing sensitivity, which actually can be a bit confusing because it sounds so much like sensory processing disorder, which is a completely separate thing. There's been a lot of um, movement and push in the field of psychology to have it change, but so far it remains, so here we are. But I wanted to distinguish that um, high sensitivity is distinct from sensory processing disorder, which we'll call SPD, um, because that is actually a neurological disorder. I think it can be helpful to understand, you know, with an example. So I wanted to share one of a child I once supported who had SPD. Let's call him Tim. (laughs) 
Tim was nine when I met him and had been diagnosed with SPD a couple of years before. He struggled greatly with tolerating tactile sensations in particular. So for him, having um, like sand on his skin or even droplets of water was completely intolerable and really distressing. For most of us, you know, if we find something like sand in our shoe or the label on our clothing to be a bit scratchy on our skin, we kind of register that sensation, but, you know, and we recognize that it's annoying or irritating, but then we, we were able just to get used to it and get on with it. For Tim, there was no habituation of that experience at all. So as a result, he wasn't able to wear clothes or shoes uh, with the exception of one T-shirt and one pair of pants that he had and, you know, wore year round, doesn't, didn't matter about the temperature. So, of course, there was um, implications for that because it presented a lot of challenges in terms of going to school. He wasn't able to wear the school uniform. Shoes were really tricky, you know, sports uniforms, swimmers. When he went swimming, there was a whole range of, um, yeah, flow on effects, I suppose, from from this particular experience. So that's just one sort of brief little example of sensory processing disorder. It is absolutely possible to be highly sensitive and not have SPD. That's important. But equally, the two are not mutually exclusive, so it is possible too. So let's move on back to talking about what someone who is highly sensitive might typically be like or what that experience is like for them. Typical characteristics of those who are highly sensitive include um, a tendency to become overstimulated particularly in loud or crowded environments. They also often possess a really high level of empathy and a sensitivity to subtleties. So these are the people or the kids that are able to immediately pick up if another person is feeling uncomfortable or if they're angry or if they're nervous even about something. They, these are the ones that will notice that long before others do. Research actually indicates that our degree of sensitivity exists on a continuum. So we all fall on that continuum somewhere. And I read this this really, really great flower metaphor that can be used to represent the different groups of the broad groups of sensitivity. So this came from Rachel Sampson, who is a clinical psychologist here in Australia, who does a lot of work in this space and is, is a real expert when it comes to highly sensitive people. So what it says was there are three groups. The the first we'll talk about is 29% of the whole population and they fall into what we could call low sensitivity. That can be represented by the flower, the dandelion. So these are the individuals who are less sensitive to their environments, meaning that they can be resilient in a whole range. It doesn't sort of matter, you know, about their environment. They're able to get on with things, get on with life and have that level of resilience. The middle group, which is 40% of the population, fall into what we'll call the medium sensitivity group, and they can be represented by the tulip. So tulips are really common. Um, They are less sensitive than orchids, which I'll talk about next, but more sensitive to their climate than dandelions. They need certain conditions and certain things to be in place for them to be able to grow and thrive, but they have a degree of flexibility as well. And then the final group, of course, are our highly sensitive individuals, 
representing 31% of the population, and they can be represented by the orchid. So these are the people who are most sensitive to their environment. Just like an orchid, they do exceptionally well and can flourish and be incredibly beautiful in ideal conditions, but they will struggle in harsh or unsupportive environments. So how do you know? How do you know if your child is highly sensitive? Well, I would probably guess that you'll already have some insight. Um, You'll likely be nodding along with those broad characteristics I mentioned previously. Um, You probably will have noticed some differences in the way that your little one processes the world and in particular in the way that they experience their emotions. But if this is new to you, if you are just sort of starting to think that this could be relevant in your home, um, or if you wanted to look into it further, I would definitely recommend a brilliant book written by Elaine Aron, who is a real authority when it comes to highly sensitive people. She's written a number of books on the subject, but the one I'm talking about is called The Highly Sensitive Child. And it's just one of those books that I'm constantly recommending to parents that I work with. It's brilliant. At the start of the book, um, oh, and actually I think you can access this online via her website too, but there's a little quiz that you take that's made up of statements that you use to answer true or false to as they apply to your child. So I won't read them all out, but just to give you an indication. So my child um, startles easily. My child doesn't enjoy big surprises. They notice the slightest unusual odor. They find it hard to get to sleep after an exciting day. They don't do well with big challenges. They ask lots of deep thought provoking questions. They perform best when strangers aren't present or they're very sensitive to pain. So that's just some of the items in the checklist, which gives you a little flavor of it. And the way it works is if you answer true to 13 or more of the questions, it's suggested that your child is probably highly sensitive. So that's an interesting place to start if this is all all new to you. Now, there are, of course, implications and areas that we need to consider when we're parenting highly sensitive children because their needs, just like an orchid, may be different to that of their peers or, or siblings who aren't in this highly sensitive group. There are some common challenges that have been noted as common for children who are highly sensitive. So some of these challenges can be um, an awareness of subtleties, the fact that they have deep inner reactions or experiences or reactions, I suppose, to experiences. There is um, their awareness of others' feelings, which of course can be a strength, but can be challenging for children if they have an incredibly high level of empathy and it's to the point where it's upsetting or um, distracting for them. Often these children too can be cautious before they are in new situations And of course, there is the tendency for them to become easily overstimulated and overaroused. Now, there's power, of course, in knowing these challenges and understanding them because it allows us insight into our children and their challenges and gives us the opportunity, I suppose, to develop strategies in advance or, yeah, to to think about these things proactively so that we've given them some thought and we can know how best to support our kids through these challenges. 
And really the goal is just to understanding um, their the way they are wired, the way they think and process things so that we can optimize their lifestyles for them. So let's go through a couple of what these challenges might be and then some suggestions, I suppose, for supporting them. So the biggest one that I hear about from parents is their highly sensitive child's tendency to become overwhelmed. And this is certainly a common part of life for someone who identifies as being highly sensitive. My suggestion would be to develop a personalized ritual with your child. So do this in collaboration together for when they feel overwhelmed. And this comes down to a bit of emotional literacy, something that they'll develop as as they get older, but they need to be able to identify when these feelings of overwhelm are coming on and have in plan an actual strategy or a, a plan that they know can help bring them back to baseline. Some things that can be useful to put in that little ritual can be um, like body scans or breathing exercises, um, some sensory type play if they're at that age. Often that is really down regulating for children, maybe some mindfulness, a little meditation, some stretches. These are all things you can play around with and use to develop with your child their own little ritual for what's going to, to work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What's also really valuable as a parent is thinking about our child's triggers. So are there certain things that we know lead to our child feeling overwhelmed? A big one can be feeling rushed. So, you know, in the mornings (laughs) for many families, ourselves, myself included, mornings can be busy and can end up being rushy as well. So often this can be a trigger for highly sensitive children. And knowing that, what we are able to do is set up our mornings differently to support our highly sensitive kids so that they don't start their day on this this feeling or this vibe um, of becoming overwhelmed. The key is to building, to identifying our children's triggers and then building in um, strategies or lifestyle choices or buffers for them so that they can be minimized. Okay, so the next thing that can be challenging in parenting highly sensitive children is the depth of their emotions. Highly sensitive kids feel things deeply. (laughs) You know, when it comes to young children, generally speaking, whether they're highly sensitive or not, this can be a part of the experience because they are young, they're still learning the skills of self-regulation as well and can need a lot of support in managing their emotions. So, Highly sensitive kids, just like all kids, they don't want to be talked out of or rushed through their feelings. What they want to be is to be seen, to be heard and understood. So when highly sensitive children are communicating their feelings or frustrations or deep emotions with you, what is really, really valuable is to hold space for them. 
to allow them the time to to express it to you, to process it. And it's likely that that's going to take a little longer perhaps than, than their less sensitive peers. Often highly sensitive kids don't want you to offer solutions or um, yeah, strategies that they can use. They just want to be heard and understood. The next one to talk about is the fact that highly sensitive children typically are really intuitive and perceptive of other people's emotional states. Now, this can be a beautiful trait to have as an individual, but where it can become problematic is that they can absorb other people's energies. And this is the reason that highly sensitive people generally, whether they're kids or adults, can become so exhausted by large groups of people because they tend to take on other people's emotional states or baggage or energy. So some strategies to suggest around managing this one for our highly sensitive kids is to be conscious of the conversations that you have around them, particularly in this climate, conversations around things like the pandemic, um, you know, and all that goes along with that in terms of health concerns and public concerns and, you know, everything in that field, we need to be really monitoring ourselves and the level of exposure that our kids have to conversations like this that can be emotionally heavy because they will be taking all that on and processing it at a really deep level. In a similar sort of way, it can be really uh, valuable when it comes to supporting our highly sensitive kids to monitor the exposure that they have to large groups. So things like birthday parties that can, you know, should be, or you, you know, we want them to be a really fun experience for highly sensitive kids or all kids, but for highly sensitive kids, they can actually be really stressful and not so much fun. So it's just a matter of um, being aware of this and monitoring how it is that they're coping in that environment. And if it's not enjoyable for them, recognizing that and recognizing that perhaps they need to go just for a little while or that they need you there with them to support them through that so that it can be a fun experience. The final point I just wanted to suggest on this topic was another really useful thing for highly sensitive children is teaching them from a really early age about the benefits of of me time or downtime so that as they grow and become more emotionally aware of themselves, they'll be able to recognize when it is that they need to step back and have that downtime to recharge. So that can be a simple thing like having quiet time integrated into your days, which can just be like 30 or, you know, 30 minutes, 45, even an hour of time where the screens are off and they are just doing some quiet, you know, reading books or coloring or sensory play. And if you make that part of your daily rhythm, so it's something that happens at, you know, just after lunch or in the afternoon each day, highly sensitive children come to really love that ritual because it's a time of the day when they know they can count on having some downtime to recharge. The final thing that I wanted to mention when it comes to parenting highly sensitive children is that they're just being aware that there is this cultural messaging out there that presents high sensitivity as a weakness. I think that this is definitely changing as we become more and more aware and through the work of people like Rachel Sampson, who I talked about before, people are becoming aware that high sensitivity 
is absolutely not a weakness, but still in a lot of ways, this messaging pervades. So what we want to be doing is framing our child's sensitivity with a strength-based focus. We need to let our kids know that it's okay to feel all emotions and teach them that their sensitivity is a strength. So I know when I was a child growing up, you know, phrases were thrown out things like, oh, don't be so sensitive or, oh, gosh, you're feeling sensitive today, aren't you? And these, of course, do frame sensitivity in a less than desirable light or see it as a weakness or something to be stamped out when it's actually not the case. You know, often children who are highly sensitive, they're able to sense that they are, you know, different to their peers in some way. So I believe it's really important to talk to them about their gifts and teach them about their sensitivity so that they can understand it and really maximize all the beautiful elements that come along with that. And so on that point of view, I suppose that's just the last thing I wanted to talk about today. And that was the implications of high sensitivity, high sensitivity in kids and the strengths that that are associated with that. So we kind of touched on the challenges and the the tricky parts that can can be present as challenges for us in parenting or supporting highly sensitive kids, but there is definitely some amazing strengths that come with it too, and they are worthy of conversation. So I just wanted to run through and touch on what some of these strengths are. Highly sensitive children are often very, very creative. They have um, really unique ways of looking at things, are often inventive and are able to really think outside the box when it comes to um, coming up with new ideas or ways to express themselves. So that is absolutely one of the most recognized and celebrated traits of being highly sensitive. Similarly, Parents of highly sensitive kids will definitely recognize that they have really rich, detailed imagination. So these are the children that are able to completely immerse themselves in imaginary play. Sometimes they have imaginary friends or their games and their, the games that they invent for themselves are really elaborate and detailed, which is a beautiful thing to watch when you are engaging with your highly sensitive child. Um, I touched on the fact, talked about a lot, the fact that highly sensitive kids are known to have elevated levels of empathy and compassion for others, which is, you know, undoubtedly a strength. These are the children that are nurturing their friends at preschool and school, um, who are the first to often step in and display kindness if another child is struggling. So again, that is definitely a strength that needs to be spoken about and recognized and nurtured in our highly sensitive children. An interesting one is that just like highly sensitive children feel um, challenging emotions more intensely, they also experience positive ones like joy and happiness and excitement. They will often feel those with greater intensity too which of course is a, a nice part of the experience of being highly sensitive. So as we work to support our um, highly sensitive kids with their emotional literacy, it's really important that we are also, you know, joining them and celebrating this experience they have of intense happiness and uh, you know, elation as well. On that note, actually, highly sensitive kids, the research shows that they are often very passionate <laughs> 
when they find something that they love, whether it's a topic or a hobby, um, they are really the, the ones that throw themselves into it. My little guy who is absolutely a highly sensitive, he fits pretty much ticks all the boxes. Um, he is one to develop these interests and he becomes so deeply immersed in them. I remember when he was three, um, it was dinosaurs and we literally have a dinosaur library and figurines. He could tell you anything about the characters and he, he developed this real love around that particular topic. Now he's moved on. Now we've moved on to soccer. And so we know all about, you know, the best players in the world and their stats and the tricks they use. So, you know, this is something that we can encourage in our highly sensitive kids. If you notice that they have a particular interest or passion, it's something that we want to be encouraging and supporting them in that too, because that's going to be really validating and fueling for them in terms of filling up their cups. The final point I wanted to make when it comes to talking about highly sensitive kids, I could talk about this for so much longer, but I'm conscious of time, is that these kids are often really, really in touch with their surroundings. So they will often be the ones to sense if something isn't right. They're really in touch with their own intuition and there's value in teaching them and helping them to um, tap into that. So that can look like if they talk to you about not feeling comfortable about something or um, maybe going into a new experience or around new people, if they are reluctant or um, tentative, you know, it's up to us to honor that because these are the children that um, their intuition speaks loudly to them. And so we need to be empowering them by recognizing that and valuing when they are talking to us about what their intuition is telling them. Okay, so I'm going to wrap it up there. As I said, I could talk about this all day and I would love to talk about it more with anyone that wants to um, perhaps share some insight into their little highly sensitive ones or ask any more questions. This, this conversation can be carried on over at the Kind Parenting Company forum on Facebook for Toddler Life. We are um, in and out of the forums all the time. So I would love to hear from you. If you've got something more you'd like to discuss, pop in and we can have a chat there. But otherwise, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to hit subscribe and also to head over to thekindparentingcompany.com to check out our resources. We hope to see you in the forum soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.